How we doing? Oh, we got to be better than that. How we doing? All right, that's better. Again, my name's uh, Eric Smith. I'm a Connect Group leader here at Connection Church in Pooler, and we might as well go ahead and get the obvious out of the way. I know what you're thinking. Why in the world would he wear a long sleeve shirt? And the truth is, I don't really have an answer for you. I apologize. I'm sorry. I looked in my closet and was like, what's the pastorous looking thing? And I remember that's a word that I have. And I was like, a long sleeve shirt. So the next time if I ever get to do this, you'll see me in a tank top with a white, uh, you know, good old farmer's tan. And you'll know that I found the coolest thing in my closet instead of the most pastor looking thing. But I want to thank the three people who are keeping up with the 412 reading plan. That was exciting to hear, y'all. Um, you have an idea of where we're going to be today. Uh, for those of you that you know, are like me, that kind of hit or miss and stuff like that, I want to challenge you. It's a great opportunity to stay in God's Word and to walk together in God's Word. Not only is this campus, but every campus that we have. Um, and you never know what God's going to do with that. You may meet someone in a store, and you may have an opportunity to start talking about what you read. And you know, maybe God revealed something to you that the Holy Spirit wants to use and give to that person. So, you know, it's not only a good challenge to keep you in God's Word, but God could really do something in our conversations with one another outside of this place. Um, so today, if you're keeping up, we're going to be in John 3. We're going to go uh, 1 through probably about 18. Uh, we're going to talk about Nicodemus meeting Jesus. And I'm just going to throw it out there for you right from the very beginning and kind of tell you the big picture theme of what this is, is that I think... A lot of times when it comes to some of the, the promises that we hear of God, some of the, the things that we know and claim from the word to be true, that I'm not so sure that we actually believe as much as we agree. Because I can agree with a lot of things, right? But I'm only willing to go so far for something that I agree with. But something I believe, that changes things. I'm willing to go a lot farther for something that I believe in. You see Fortune 500 companies that got bootstrapped with $100 because someone believed in something, and now they're making millions. You see underdogs in sports all the time win against champions because they believed. They believed in something. They didn't just agree with what a coach said. They believed. They bought into what was being said. And so... That's the thing I want to get to, is what would it look like if we move from agreeing most of the time to believing all the time? So if you, if you have your Bibles with you, we can go ahead and, and turn to uh, John 3. We're going to go 1 through 15. And, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you a, a little story that I that sort of got reminded of when I read about Nicodemus. I was 9 or maybe 10 years old, and my cousin, she would come down from Pennsylvania we were very close, and so we would always do everything together, and she was going to her grandmother's house, and uh, they invited me along, and I wanted to spend time with her. I hadn't seen her, so I went along, and while we were there, man, we sat down, and we watched E.T., and this was about six years too late. E.T. had been out for a while now, and they were blown away that I had not seen E.T., so we had to watch E.T., and it was incredible, man. That's a great movie for you younger people. Google it. Go watch it on Netflix, something like that. Great movie. But E.T., just that, you know, you get to see cute little Drew Barrymore and, and all the kids teaming up with E.T. and trying to get him home. And you have all the government agents and all that stuff coming against it. And then in the end, E.T. goes home. And it's bittersweet. It's incredibly bittersweet. But it was a great movie. 
And, and so I'm, I'm on this emotional roller coaster already, and, and we got done, and I go and I'm looking at her bookcase, and all of a sudden her grandmother comes out of nowhere and looks at me and goes, are you born again? I don't even know how I got born the first time. As far as I know, a stork dropped me off on the front porch. I know mama's bellies get big, but I'm not really sure what the transition is between the belly and the baby, so I'm not sure. I have horrible news for you. If you aren't born again, you're going to burn in hell. Oh, my. Oh, really? And I'm freaking out. And I'm like, well, what do I do? Well, you have to be born again. But what does that mean? And she just continues to tell me that the most important thing to keep me from burning in hell is being born again. And I continue to go, I don't know how, because I don't even know how babies get here. How in the world am I going to be born again? And it was obviously emotionally traumatic for a 9 or 10-year-old to be in the face of this double-barrel turn-or-burn shotgun, and she just goes, hey, kid, and I'm flipping out. I don't know what to do because the one thing I do know is I don't know how to be born again. And so my one saving grace, and it had to be emotionally traumatic because I get in there, I'm in the car, my cousin looks at me, and she's like, you're pale. What's wrong with you? So, I mean, it scared me enough to where I lost all color. And I told her that I didn't know how to be born again. I didn't know what that was going to do. And she said the only thing that sounded reasonable at that time, she was like, don't listen to her. She's crazy. And it was the only thing that saved me because somewhere in there, she missed Jesus. I never heard the word Jesus. Her passion was there. but Her presentation for a nine-year-old was not the best in the world. But it reminded me of this with Nicodemus, and, and so obviously we see Nicodemus. He's coming in by night, and, and we're going to start reading here in 3.1. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And now, just a little background on Nicodemus. This is the top Pharisee. This man is it. He has escalated to the pinnacle of being a Pharisee. He's the most well-known Bible teacher in Jerusalem. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. This is the highest court of justice and Supreme Court 
in Jerusalem. This guy was it. But he was religious in the most possibly religious way. He knew scriptures. He obeyed the law. And in mind, he was leading and teaching better than anyone. But when he meets Jesus, he hears the questions that he was asking because you know he had to have some as he was teaching the Bible that things just weren't lining up with the way the Pharisees were teaching and what he was understanding. And so he hears Jesus' teachings and he starts to hear the questions answered that he's always wondered. And then he sees the miracles that Jesus is performing and he knows that none of them have ever performed the miracles the way that he does. So... Obviously, with him even coming to Jesus, he was willing to admit something about Jesus that all of his Pharisee counterparts weren't willing to admit. But he comes at night. And you can tell through his encounter that where he may agree with Jesus, he doesn't believe yet. Just the fact that he comes at night is a telltale sign. I mean, this is a religious man. This is a Pharisee. This is the Kardashians of the day. They would have killed it on Snapchat filters, right? Everything they did, they did in public. They were regal, prayed in public. When they walked, it was so ceremonial. They would just come into these places and just carry themselves in a way that seemed better than everyone else. And they made sure everyone seen it so they could establish who they were with God and who everyone else wasn't with God. And that's why they needed to turn to them for guidance and leadership. But what's he say? Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God. So he's admitting not only is Jesus higher than him, the word rabbi, the word teacher, that's a sign of respect. So you have the most well-known Bible teacher in the day looking at Jesus and calling him teacher. But he goes on and he says, we know you are a teacher that has come from God. So he's already acknowledging and agreeing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he must be from God, that he must be the son of God. But he came to him at night so no one would see. Right? Why do that? If this was something that you firmly believed in, this something you were just rooted in, would you care if you went by day or night? So he sneaks in and he has this conversation with Jesus. And before he can even get too far in, Jesus cuts him off. Like, we don't really know what Nicodemus was going to say. You know, he just sort of establishes that, hey, you are who you say you are, and I respect you as a teacher, and you do miracles, and I agree with you. And Jesus immediately cuts him off and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And in the King James Version, it says, verily, verily, other versions are going to say, truly, truly, right? And Michael said it before, anytime you see that in God's word, that's emphasis. That's whatever follows this verily matters. You better pay attention to it. And so he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He says it's the most religious man of the day, the one who should be a shoe in for heaven, the one who's even agreeing that he is Jesus, that he's from God, that he's a teacher. And Jesus says, hold on. Until you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. And so I think Nicodemus had the same moment that I had with my cousin. How can someone be born when they are already old? 
right? He's an educated man. How in the world is this even possible? How can someone go back into the womb to be born again? And so as I was reading this, it really just burdened my heart. Because how many times is that us? How many times do we hear the promises of God and we agree with them, but we don't believe them? How many times have we heard we're free and yet we remain held by bondage and slave to whatever it is? How many times that we have heard we're children of God? You know what that means? A child of God. A child of God. Did you feel like a child of God when you walked in here this morning? Some maybe. Others I don't know, sometimes. And then others, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never felt like a child of God. But you've heard it. We've all heard it. And we even like it. We'll put it on coffee cups. We'll put it on T-shirts. We'll wear it around. We'll post it on Instagram, right? Our favorite verse, this is going to make me feel better, and God bless everyone that reaches this because it's going to change their life. And yet we're still enslaved to the same thing every single day. I don't think that's what God intended for us. I don't think that's what God intended for Nicodemus. When Jesus encountered Nicodemus, his life changed. And we're going to get to see a little bit of that. But somehow or another, he had to go from agreeing to believing. Because again... I can agree with something. You might be able to make an intelligent argument for alien life, right? There are people who can do it. Just watch the Discovery Channel, anything, right? A great argument that there's alien life. Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. You can make a good enough argument that I can agree with you, but I'm not willing to die for it. I'm not even willing to bet money on it. I can agree with you on that. But something I believe in I'm willing to take it a step farther. I'm willing to go a little farther. Something I believe in changes who I am. It changes what I'm willing to do. It changes how far I'm willing to go, and it changes my outlook on everything that I see. So let's just think about that. What would a church look like that moved from just agreeing to believing? that we were so sold out to the promises of God that we laid down everything, that we devoted everything to his word, devoted everything to obedience of Christ and what his word lays out, that we allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us wherever he may, what would this place look like? How would you leave this room if you went from agreeing to believing? More than that, what would out there look like if we moved from agreeing to believing? It's going to look different. Things look different when you believe in them. You look different when you believe in them. You change your outlook, your perspective, your intentions, your desires. All of these things begin to change because you believe in something. But do we go that far? We're believers, right? We're Christians. Do we go that far in our faith? Have we moved into believing to the point 
when we've so radically changed that we're willing to go wherever God leads us. There's a woman named Gladys Staines. Her husband, Graham Staines, they served in India for 30 years. They were missionaries, and they spent most of their time serving the lepers of India. One day in 1999, and some of you may be old enough to remember this, Gladys found out that Graham, her nine-year-old son, Philip, and her seven-year-old son, Timothy, were burned alive in their car in India. When Gladys was asked about this tragedy by the media, she said, I only have one message for India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. She believed. But even more than that, her 13-year-old daughter Esther, when she was asked how she felt about her father's murder, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. That's belief. And belief changes things. An 18-year-old soldier in communist army in USSR in the 1970s named Ivan, he wrote what was gonna be his final letter to his parents. He was constantly confronted by his superiors to renounce his Christian faith and claim the scientific atheism of Soviet state and the military. When he wouldn't do it, when he wouldn't recant, he was forced to stand in sub-freezing temperatures each night in his summer fatigues until he changed his mind. For 12 nights, he continued to stand in the cold and never recounted that Christ was his savior. Instead, when he went into the dorms with the other soldiers, he would just praise and sing hymns. And many of the soldiers were so moved by his willingness to stand in his faith that they were converted. But his superiors would not relent. They continued to torture him in new ways. He was finally stabbed six times around the heart. He was beaten until his face was not recognizable and eventually drowned. And his letter to his parents said this, my dear parents, the Lord has showed the way to me and I have decided to follow it. I will now have more severe and bigger battles than I've had till now, but I do not fear them. He goes before me. Do not grieve for me, my dear parents. It is because I love Jesus more than myself. I listen to him, though my body does fear somewhat. I does not wish to go through everything. But I do this because I do not value my life as much as I value him. And I will not await my own will, but I will follow as the Lord leads. He says, go, and I go. That's belief. He's not just agreeing with some promises. I'd have folded up if I was just agreeing with promises. A nonprofit organization named Open Doors USA focused on serving persecuted Christians across the world. In 2017, they put out a list of the top countries in the world for Christians who are being persecuted. The Middle East alone made up most of the top 10. The report that covered the list goes on to say that from 2000 to 2015, there were 900,000 Christians martyred for their faith in the world. These are men and women who are in the same countries today that are preaching the same gospel that those people lost their lives for. 
They're being led by faith and the Holy Spirit and stepping out into the most dangerous fields in the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because they agree with it. Why would someone do that? Why would someone put their life on the line every single day? All they have to do is be found out because they don't just agree with it. They believe it to the point it's changed everything about them. They're no longer the same. And the people who hear it, Middle Easterners who are going to be accused of apostasy and killed, not by the government, by a family member, a brother stabbing a sister, a father killing a daughter because they chose the Christian faith over their own. And these people are hearing it, knowing this. This isn't going to catch them off guard. They know exactly what's going to happen if they're found out by following the name of Jesus Christ. They know it. And something happens. And they're never the same after they hear the promises of Jesus. That's going more than just agreeing. That's believing. And these people understand what it means when Jesus said, when you believe, you'll be born again. Born again. New life. Nothing about these people looks the same as it used to. They're not just going in, praising a little bit, turning around, going back out, going, that was awesome. Tweeting a little bit about it. Which, by the way, if I have any great verses, feel free to tweet them. I'd love it, but it's not going to happen. But these people are different. They're not worried about a church. They're worried about the kingdom of God. They're worried about what's happening outside of a building. They're worried about the people who are lost and broken, who are dying and hurting. And they put it all on the line for the sake of Jesus Christ because it's what he called us all to do. Their lives have been changed radically. Do you think a family member that sees them now sees the same person they used to see? There's new life. There's new intentions. There's new reasons for the thing they do what they do or the reasons why they do what they do. They are fueled by something different, motivated by something that's greater than them. They believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And when they believe, then there's new birth. It's the easiest answer to a complicated question. I really wish somebody would have hit me with it when I was nine because I was scared to death. You just believe in the name of Jesus. Are we human? Yeah. Are we going to perfectly execute it? No. It's not going to happen. It's just like being a new parent. And Thomas had a great analogy with it just a few minutes ago. And it's the best way I can, I can explain that change in that moment when we believe. And I know some of your parents, I see the beautiful kids down here. I see some of you are going to have babies. I'm excited some of you just had them. But you can expect this child. You can get excited about it. You're prepared for it. You have everything, all the pretty clothes. The room is decked out but you still aren't ready for that moment when you lay your eyes on your kid. Something changes instantly. 
Like Thomas said, you're willing to die for that child. You're willing to give everything in that moment. Everything about you is no longer the same. You're living for someone else. You're working for someone else. You're sacrificing for someone else. You're willing to give up everything. Stay up all night. Work your fingers to the bone. Go wherever you have to go for that person. It's the most amazing moment you can ever encounter. You're so overwhelmed by love, and you just met them. They just got here. And you love them more than anything you've ever loved in your entire life. It's the same in the moment we believe. Do you remember that moment you believed? Do you remember the love you felt in that moment? Have you had it yet? If you did, you'd remember it. Because you're so overwhelmed by love that nothing will ever be the same. You will never look the same again, ever. And just like being a parent, you don't execute it perfectly. My kids are sitting right there, ask them. I screw it up all the time. Ask them if I love them. It's different. It's different. It looks different. It's the same thing in the moment we believe we look different. What would we look like, church, if we're different? What would the gospel do to the people around you? What would it look like? How many people can you think of right now? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the first step. Maybe you're the one God's waiting on so he can reach so many people around you. And he's just waiting for that moment where we go from a green to I believe it. I believe it with all that I am. I believe it with every, I'm so overwhelmed by love because I know what I deserve. I know what I'm owed, God, and you sent your son to die to wash away every bit of it so that you can use me for the glory of your name. I'm not worthy of that, but he loves me so much. And he doesn't worry about the things I worry about. He doesn't worry about the things I worry about. He's not worried about what you worry about. He's just waiting for you to believe. Is that you today? Have you believed to the point where you're willing to let the Holy Spirit lead? To get out of the way, new birth, new life, the spiritual rebirth that lives in us, we're guided by the Holy Spirit, Promised by God that when we believe, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. A power unexplainable, unmanageable, imaginable. Do you believe it? When you go to Walmart and you see the person holding the sign at the stop sign, it's easy to stop and give them money but will we pull the car over and just go up to him and talk to him and just tell him God loves him because the Spirit led us to? Or if you're in a restaurant and you see a 
a mom and a dad and their kids, it's easy to pay for their bill and go, in the name of Jesus, that was awesome. But will they ever know about Jesus if we never tell them? Did the Holy Spirit prompt us to get out of our seat and go and move and be bold and just tell someone, God loves you? Or for those who are even bolder, when you see someone in Walmart and you just know God has placed it on your heart, I have to pray for that person. There is something going on that God needs me to pray for. Are you bold enough? Do you believe enough to go, hey, I don't even know how to explain this, but God said, I need to pray for you. Do you know how many stories there are of people who responded in faith because they believed? But that's scary. It's easier just to agree, right? It's easier to just go, I don't know about that, Holy Spirit. That's taking me someplace I don't want to go. That's taking me someplace I don't feel comfortable. I mean, because that's the thing about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's sketchy. He'll get out of pocket in a heartbeat on you, right? I mean, we don't even really like talking about him a whole lot, because if we do, he might get nuts in here. We may have a prayer line. People might get their hands laid on. I mean, we may see miracles in here if the Holy Spirit gets talked about, right? Amen. Amen. That's what we should want. That's what we should want in this place. People being set free. The Holy Spirit moving in a way that when you leave this place, you talk about it to the next time you come back. You have to tell everyone you see what God did in this place. Amen. Holy Spirit, move. Move on us. Overwhelm us in a way that we can't help but believe if we don't. Shake us to our core. I don't want to look the same when I leave this place today. I don't want to look the same tomorrow. I don't want to look the same Wednesday. I want to be different. I want what God has for me. But I got to believe. I got to quit agreeing and I got to start believing. I got to move from that place like Nicodemus did. I got to move out of just agreeing because it sounds great. It does sound great to be broken free of these chains. To not let pornography and lust overwhelm. That sounds great, God. To not have anxiety, to not have depression just fill my heart every single day. Yes and amen, I want some of that. Sounds great, I agree. I'm tired of my self-worth and my self and my value being placed in what I see in someone else. I don't want this anymore. Amen. I agree. But then it happens an hour after you leave here, by tonight, by Wednesday, if we make it that long, we're still bound, we're still enslaved to what God says we don't have to be anymore. Move, Holy Spirit. And if we don't believe, help us believe. What did he say? Help my unbelief. We have promises, church. What would it look like? What would your family look like, man of God? That's what we are, right? Woman of God. What would it look like? Man, how exciting would that be? 
but it's scary. How do I do that? How do I become a new creation that I don't even know what the new creation is? I don't even know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm supposed to act. I don't know how I'm supposed to be. I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. How am I supposed to do that? I mean, even Nicodemus, the best Bible teacher in the world, said, what? How is that going to happen? In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, remember that flesh begets flesh, right? Nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but children born of God. Do you feel like a child of God today? Is that a promise you agree with, or is it a promise you believe? The God who loves us so much, who desires so much better for us than anything we could ever desire for ourselves, just said believe. That's all you have to do is believe, not agree, in the name of Jesus and the one he sent. And in that instant, everything changes. Everything changes. Trust me. I still remember my love moment. I remember what I looked like before. And I can promise you, and this isn't bragging, this is only bragging on God, I don't look the same. Just come ask me about it, I'll tell you. Do you remember your love moment where you're so overwhelmed by love that everything changed? Do you remember that? If not, hang in there. We're going to have a chance. But there's no need to fear what this new thing is going to look like because that's part of it, right? I mean, even in my anxiety, my depression, my chaos, my anger, my rage, that's comfortable, right? I mean, can we admit it? There's a level of comfort in my anxiety. There's a level of comfort in my fear. Even in the chaos of my life, if something kind of levels out, I need chaos because I'm used to chaos. And so if you promise me something other than that, that scares me a little bit because I'm not going to have what's comfortable. But what we give up for what we believe, we get back so much greater than we can ever imagine. Whatever you give up for what you believe, you will get back more than you will ever imagine, ever. God promises us that. And we can see it in Nicodemus. If you continue to read in John, something's changed for Nicodemus. He must have figured out what this new birth is about, right? Because not only does he stand up for Christ in the face of the entire Sanhedrin, that's risking everything. That's risking who he is, where he's at, his whole prestige, everything he's built about his life. It's going to look different from that moment because he stood up for the name of Christ. And after watching Christ hang on a cross, he brought spices and he helped prepare the body with Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus 
went from agreeing to believing. And his life changed. He looked different. So just like with all of these things, all of these verses, all of these things that we're going through with our 412 reading plan, we want to ask the same four questions. And the first one is, who is God? Who is God in this? Who is God in this to us? God is the giver of new life. 1 John 5.11 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's, it's simple. It's easy. Believe on the name of Jesus. We have new life, new birth, because of the name of Jesus Christ. We believe through faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on a cross for our sins, and in doing so, he imputed his righteousness on us. And he was laid in a tomb. And in three days, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him from the dead. And he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Amen? That's what we believe. That is what we believe. That's our salvation. That is our new life that whatever it is you take to the foot of the cross, whatever you're still holding on to, whatever still binds you, there's plenty of room at the foot of the cross for you. Jesus died for every single thing that you think he can't forgive, that I think he can't forgive, the things I want to hold on to. Some of that stuff's good. I need to hold on to it. It makes me feel warm at night. It's tough to let it go. I need it. But we believe through faith in Jesus Christ. And our genuine belief, genuine, not just agreeing, means a new spiritual birth. So who am I because of it? Am I agreeing with Jesus today? Or am I believing? And I'm asking myself the same question. Has the new birth that comes by faith given way to a new creation? You new today? You feel new? Do you feel like a new creation of God? When you look back and all you do is praise him, do you know how much I praise him that I'm even here in this moment? I'm not worthy. I know what I deserved. And it just blows me away. It continues to knock my socks off that God would love me so much. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everything that we're holding on to, everything that we want to cling to, God wants to reconcile. Everything that we think he doesn't want a part of, every part of us that we think isn't worthy, he doesn't care. He wants to reconcile us to himself. And he did it in his son, Jesus Christ. God wants all of you, even the stuff you don't want to tell him about. He's in the business of glorifying himself 
through forgiveness, through grace, through mercy, through new life. He wants to take all that stuff and make something new with it. And in Acts, after he's given us new life, Peter told him, 238, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer new because there's something that lives within us now. We have a power that lives within us, something unimaginable. It's a little scary, it's a little sketchy, but man, if he gets out of pocket, amen. Because good things are gonna happen if we're willing to let him go and just get out of the way. Good things will happen. That's when we see chains broken. That's when we see things that have enslaved people for years. They're like they never were. So what has God done? What has God done? God in his love has saved us and given us victory and everlasting life. Say this with me. This is John 3, 16 and 17. I know you have this on a t-shirt somewhere, right? But do you believe it? Just say the first part with me. For God so loved the world. Say that again. For God so loved the world. Say it like you mean it. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. He loves me so much that he stepped out of heaven and climbed on a cross for every dirty thing I did. That's how much he loves you. He doesn't care. He doesn't want you to leave this place and look the same as you walked in. He wants you to be free because in your freedom, you will glorify him. In the healing of your wounds, you will reveal him in a way that this world does not know. You are the proof that God heals wounds, that he sets the captives free, that he loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? You're going to live forever, and you're going to live forever praising the name of the God that saved you. Why wait to heaven? Why wait to heaven? We can do it right now. Why wait? So the last question, what have I become because of it? uh, Music team, y'all can go ahead and come forward if y'all want. What have I become? What have you become because of the promises of John 3, 16 and 17? Like Jesus explained to Nicodemus, We have been cleansed of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have been given new birth, the Holy Spirit living within us. What do you become when you believe in Jesus? A dwelling place for God. Did you feel like that when you walked in this morning? Do you feel like a dwelling place of the most high God? Do you really even want him to live there? Might not look clean enough right yet, right? I got some stuff I need to sweep out, God, before I let you move in. C.S. Lewis said this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. 
He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew these jobs needed doing. So you're not surprised that that's where God starts. But presently, after he's got all that stuff out, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. Hurts in your gut. And does not seem to make any sense why. What on earth is he up to? C.S. Lewis says this, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's creating courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but God is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. So I have to ask you, how's your house look? Because God wants to come and live there. Are you giving him the room? Signing the permits for him to do all the construction needed? Are you believing in faith and what the Bible promises us? It's gonna hurt. It stings a little bit. It wears, right? It hurts abominably. But God is creating a palace so that he will be seen by the world in you, in me. We don't have to leave here different than we walked in. God's ready to work on that palace right now. Maybe he's ready to start construction. You know, here at Connection Church, we want to celebrate with people. And if we are who we say we are, we should. We want to celebrate with people who believe in the name of Jesus. And we ask you to do it boldly. And I understand, I get it. I still remember what I felt like when the Holy Spirit was weighing on my heart and I knew God needed me to do something and that preacher was gonna ask at the end of the service and I was hoping I'd have to find some way of getting out. I understand, I get it. But I want you to understand something. If we are who we say we are, we are gonna celebrate and we are gonna shout so the heavens can hear it if that's you this morning. If you hear the name of Jesus Christ, and you know that you've only been agreeing with it up until now, and you're ready to make that move, there's no shame. Who are we to condemn anyone for that? Who are we to condemn anyone? We should celebrate. Because someone who thought they were getting it right, like Nicodemus, may have realized, I'm not where I thought I was. And they're bold and courageous enough to take a step into new life. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to shout. And the Bible says that the heavens open up in celebration for the person that calls on the name of the Lord. Is that you this morning? Maybe you've been going to church for 40 years and you're realizing now that I've only been agreeing with the promises of God. That's okay. That's okay. Because God made this moment so that we could call on his name and stop agreeing and start believing. And what would this place look like? So I'm going to ask you, to, if that's you this morning, we got people who are going to pray with you. But first, we're going to celebrate with you. If that's you this morning, if you've either never made the decision 
to follow Christ, to believe in faith that Jesus Christ is the answer for our sin problem, that he is the bridge that connects us to God, that restores our relationship by the blood cleansing away all of our unrighteousness. If that's you this morning, if you've never made the decision to commit your life to Christ and believe in him with everything that you are, and I promise your life will never be the same. You raise your hand. Just stick your hand in there. We're gonna celebrate, we're gonna get excited. If you're the one who maybe has thought that you were where you needed to be with God, but you're realizing now that maybe you were like Nicodemus. You knew a lot, you knew God, you were in the right spot, you were doing everything right, but maybe you've just been agreeing and you don't believe like you thought you did. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Amen. Praise God. Well, then for the rest of us, how's your house? How's your house this morning? God is ready to do something. He's ready to move in this place through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we bold enough to respond? Are we bold enough to bring whatever it is to this altar? Are we bold enough to get on our faces before God and trust that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do for us? Why leave here in bondage? Why leave here enslaved? Why? There is freedom at the foot of the cross. This is where chains are broken. This is where the captives are set free. This is where the bondage that enslaves us is forgotten about. The Bible says it gets tossed into the sea of forgetfulness. Unless you string it up so that you can get it back when you need to. But why? Why not bring it to this cross? So they're going to play a song. The altars are open. Whatever you brought into this place this morning, whatever was on your heart, don't leave with it. There's a supernatural power that's waiting on us in this place. God is calling. It's up to us if we'll answer. I'm so thankful for y'all. God bless you.